This is Sam. This is Paul. Okay. When we restricted our diet and then ate something we weren't supposed to, the reaction to eating what we weren't supposed to was absolutely catastrophic. What did you eat? Um, well, the worst response, I think we're allergic to, or allergic, whatever the hell this is, having an, uh, an inflammatory response to something called sulfites. And we had some apple cider that had sulfites in it. And that was really not good. Like, I was done for a month. That was the first time I talked to Sam Harris. You were done for a month? Oh, yeah. It took me out for a month. It was awful. I think the day I talked to Sam was like the worst day of my life. Apple cider? Like, what, what was it sulfites doing? Sulfites in it. What was it doing to you? Oh, it, it, it produced an overwhelming sense of impending doom and i seriously mean overwhelming like there's no way i could have lived like that if that would have lasted for see michaela knew by that point that it would probably only last a month and i was like a month yeah from a month. fucking cider oh i didn't sleep that that month i didn't sleep for 25 days i didn't sleep what? at all i didn't sleep at all for 25 days how is that possible that, that, that i'll tell you how it's possible you lay in bed uh, frozen in something approximating terror for eight hours, and then you get up. Oh my God! Oh yeah, not and good. this is from fucking cider. From cider. That's what we thought. Yeah. I mean, look, again, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. And this is Southpaw. So today on the podcast, we have comedy writer Jack Allison, known for writing on Jimmy Kimmel Live. You've been a writer for the Emmys, the Oscars. Probably right now, the most famous thing you're known for is Struggle Session, which is a leftist comedy pop culture podcast. Would you call that? That's what I would call it. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me here. This is uh, fun. Thanks to be uh, nice to be here. And then you got two other things. You got... Two shows on Twitch, yes, which is uh, basically a new platform medium. One is uh, called Jack AM. Mm -hmm. What is that about? So I just do a morning show, you know, the same way that, uh, you know, uh, they do radio morning shows everywhere all across the country and Good Morning America. Uh, I do one, too, but nobody asked me to do it. And uh, I'm not like you know, getting paid by a company or anything like that to do it. Uh, I just wake up uh, very early in the morning of my own accord. So those unfamiliar with Twitch, mm -hmm. how would you differentiate it from YouTube? It's live. I mean, it's live streaming. Uh, uh, so, you know, uh, basically on Twitch, you it's, it's a lot of video games, but it's just a live streaming platform. And, and like most of the live streaming platforms, there's a chat room along the side of it. So uh, um, it's different than YouTube in the sense that you basically have a live audience. Um, YouTube is like sitting in a room talking to a computer and um, Twitch is like sitting in a room talking into a computer. But then other people can type into a computer and talk back to you. So a lot of the differences might be the audience itself, because Twitch streams afterwards are on their archive, right? Like people right. can watch it, yeah. but the audience on Twitch, unlike YouTube, like to watch it live. Look, I think that there's something like extra, you know, there's something, you know, additionally fun about getting to watch it live and interact with uh, the person that's on the screen. And then the other Twitch show you have is called Mitch Live. Right. Can you explain that a little bit? 
So uh, uh, that's a show we do with my friend Mike Mitchell, who also hosts the the Doughboys podcast, um, which is a talk show uh, that we have him host. But he doesn't know anything that's going to happen in the show uh, before it happens. So we'll have celebrity guests like we had uh, Kumail Nanjiani on one. We had uh, Mary Chifo from Star Trek. Um, and, and he won't uh, have any questions prepared for them or even know that he's going to be interviewing them before uh, the night of the show. Uh, we haven't done it in a couple months because uh, it's a real big pain in the ass to get the uh, the location. Basically, it's hard to it's hard as it turns out to do a show with a live audience. Um, that's like a full on talk show. So it's a talk show that's kind of done as surprise for the host, but the host knows when it is. He just doesn't know who the guests are going to be. Right. So we yeah uh, uh, we've done some where he doesn't know when it is, but that's too much of a pain in the <laughs> ass to like deal with scheduling and everything like that. So typically he knows now. And the other thing you're famous or infamous for is your Twitter presence. And well, there's Reddit threads about you. Oh, yeah, sure. There's a parody account about you. I have a couple parody accounts now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the reason why I bring that up is because if you look at the description of our show, Southpaw, it says, like the Joe Rogan experience, except for the left. Sure. So, you know, I think there's people out there who are curious, how would Jack Allison react to like Joe Rogan type questions? Maybe they watch Joe Rogan. It's like, damn, I wish Jack Allison was on there. So what we're going to do is we're just going to do our typical normal type of open conversation. And then every once in a while, Paul will throw in a Joe Rogan. A, like an actual one pulled from Joe Rogan? It's or more of like a paraphrase. Just like, okay, sure, sure, sure. Because, okay. you know, I think both of us, we've watched like Joe Rogan from episode one. Really? Okay. So we're not neophytes. You're we, super we fans. Know this, not super fans either. <laughs> we know enough. Right. To know how to criticize them. And actually, there's some we took out a lot of the more problematic questions we could have asked sure. to keep it, you know, more like lighthearted. And well, also, you know, just, we'll see how it goes, I guess. How did you get into comedy writing? This is not a Joe Rogan question. <laughs> uh, I can see Joe asking that. Uh, um, I um, I was delivering pizzas, you know, as a, a, when I was like 18 or something like that. And I started taking classes at a British Citizens Brigade and uh, just started doing comedy with people. And, you know, uh, that sort of led to me working at Funny or Die. And then uh, after that, uh, I worked at the Jimmy Kimmel show. You kind of just, you know, jump from a job to another job until you uh, are too exhausted to do it anymore. Because a lot of people, I think, especially if they're not doing stand up, right, they want to do comedy writing for shows. They think, OK, I got to go to college. I got to get an MFA and all I, that do stuff. Do people think that? I don't know. I mean, like, I didn't go to college. I didn't finish college. Um, and I don't know if people like I, I don't know what people would think about how to get a job writing comedy. I bet uh, people uh, in the industry don't think that. I think sure. people outside of it who might want to get into it. Right. Or like they have some... to go to college to take screenwriting or something. I went to screenwriting college and I didn't finish it. Um but, you know, I've also never written a screenplay, so I can't like uh, maybe if I finished college, I would have finished writing a screenplay. So I don't know. Like, uh, And then you were doing the typical, well, not even typical, but you were doing the established Hollywood thing. And then you decided to leave. And I think that's probably your infamy on Twitter. It seems more. Well, like that's not uh, that's not like totally accurate. It's okay. like I left doing the Kimmel show because I thought I was going to try to sell a TV show. And I did for like two years, you know, sit in development doing a television show. So this is not some grand pronouncement or something that I was like, I like now like leave behind entertainment. Like I <laughs> thought I was going to like, 
do something different in entertainment. You know, my I think a lot of people like because I OK, you sort of keep sort of hinting at it. But I'm 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 uh, uh, I, I guess I'd say I'm fiery on Twitter and I'm and I don't really like care about calling out, you know, sort of bigger entertainment institutions and things like that, or, you know, people that are above me in the industry and everything or talking about, you know, the entertainment industry that a lot of that for me, I'm like, a lot of that came from that, like I was at the Kimmel show and I have this sort of philosophy around that. I, 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 you know, when you get somewhere, it's like, I don't think you should like try to pull the ladder up on other people. Like you should try to like help to make it better. Like there's this attitude in Hollywood of like, you have to pay your dues and like scrap and all that kind of shit. And I'm like, I ultimately think this, this like notion of paying your dues is only beneficial to like the people who you're paying the dues to. And they're mostly self-enforcing that just because like they had to do it when they were coming up. It's like it's all bullshit. And, you know, I, I, I ultimately think like the entire structure of like Hollywood, like doesn't really make sense right now. And so that's what I'm posting about, you know. Uh, a lot of people think like I've torpedoed my career or something like that. And my feeling around that is that I know a lot of people that are just as unemployed as I am <laughs> and that that don't talk shit online. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I wonder if it's my talking shit online that keeps me unemployed or if it's just that there's only 14 available jobs at any point in Hollywood that keeps me unemployed. You know what I mean? So when you say something like, you know, that I gave it up and went to go do this other entertainment thing. I really left to go try to sell a TV show. And then, you know, in the TV show, not moving forward, I am like, well, what's the shorter term path to like an actually sustainable income? And I think that that's Internet stuff. So, you know, uh, uh, I would happily do a TV show again. But, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to like like this is the other thing It's like I don't want to like kill myself over getting these jobs that like I'm not that excited about. You know what I mean? It's like I would happily write for any of these shows, but I'm also not going to like make my whole life about, you know, trying to staff on one of these stupid fucking shows. Cause even when you do that, you don't get it half the time. Now having gone through the development process, was it kind of like more of an overall, this whole system is a little inefficient. Well, it's what's going on right now with uh, the writer's guild yeah. actually is like very, is tied to what's going what, you know, happened with me and development and everything like that. So, you know, uh, uh, when I left the Kimmel show, we were trying to develop a TV show to sell to TBS. Um, and so we spent two years, this is like in success in unpaid development, basically where we were, you know, working on developing the project to make it better for these executives so that they would make it, you know, they would allow us to go pitch it or whatever. You know, I find out after the fact that, you know, in thinking about this, you know, everything that's going on right now with the Writers Guild and packaging, which is this very, uh, uh, you know, complex, like inter uh, industry issue. But basically what it comes down to is that the Writers Guild believes that the agencies uh, um, don't have the best interests of their clients in mind because they're negotiating what are called package deals where they package all of the talent and then they take a fee on that package as opposed to taking a fee based on what the individual writer makes or whatever. So that shifts the incentive away from the writers getting paid more to, you know, these agencies working with studios to put together packages. Anyway, to get back to what happened with me is like, I look back on this and I'm like, we basically spent two years pitching to WME showrunners so that they could put together a package ahead of us going in to actually pitch it. So what happened for our two-year development process was not that we were developing it to get it in a better position to like be sold, but to get it in a better position to where WME would allow it to go in and be sold. So from my perspective, I'm like, 
I cannot afford to do that again. Like I left the Kimmel show after two and a half years and I had saved $100,000. Like with $100,000, you can afford to not work for two years and live in like and develop something or whatever. After that, I'm like, I just cannot afford to be spending like two years unpaid working toward, you know, maybe getting a $30,000 paycheck or something like that. Like truly, I'm like the shorter term path for me and for a lot of my friends that I think are successful is like direct payment on the web. What is a package though for those of us who don't know? Does that mean attaching like actors to Correct. it? Correct. So so originally the idea of packaging is not bad in and of itself, right? So uh, uh, you can help sell a project. Say like, this script is great. Let's get Tom Cruise on board. Let's get this on board. That of course like would make it more likely to sell. If you get like an actor on board, you get like an established director on board or something like that. Uh, uh, and that's like a totally appropriate thing to do. What the agency started doing was negotiating these deals where if they put together a package, they would take like what was a three three ten deal where they would be taking three percent of like the upfront budget, I think three percent of like the ongoing budget, and then ten percent on the back end. And so this would end up with the agencies because they put together the package making more on the shows than like the creators of the show did. And then also, you know, the whole point of of talent representation is to get us paid above what is like the minimum amount. The the guild and all the various unions are who negotiates the minimum that they're allowed to pay us. Our agents are supposed to get us like the above scale, right? So when they're put putting together a package, if they're doing a package deal, their incentive is not to get you above scale pay. Their incentive is just to get the package put together because the agency is not making any kind of significant money on their commission on your overscale pay. Does that make sense? Does the package also mean because it is an agency, I'm only going to package it with my clients? That happens pretty typically. So actually what happened with us is I'm represented at CAA, uh, uh, but the production company I was working with uh, was represented at WME. And so it was we had to package with WME talent to even get it to be sold. So that's just like additionally odd thing is that like I got packaged not from my agency, but by a different agency. And really the thing is, is that, you know, at the core, what this means is that like the talent agencies are now sort of holding us as a stable and selling access to us as opposed to like working for us and getting us extra pay from these companies. You know what I mean? Like we're ostensibly like the employees of the agency under this arrangement, as opposed to the employers of the agency, which is what it's been typically, you know, in the history of uh, entertainment. That's crazy, man. Have you ever tried DMT? I haven't tried DMT. Um, I haven't. Why'd you, why'd you have to stop with that one? That's like the most obvious question. But I haven't. I haven't tried DMT. I've tried uh, acid. I've tried mushrooms. I've had uh, salvia div divinorum. Uh, What's that one? It's like a nice, it's like a 15 minute one. It was legal at the time. I don't know if it's legal anymore. Um, it's really fucking intense. Um, but I haven't had any DMT. I've never had DMT. I've tried shrooms like a couple times. And what's interesting to me is so. I'm Korean American and I mostly grew up less Americanized and more Koreanized. Yeah. And so everybody who had tried shrooms had told me, oh man, it's going to taste so bad. You should put peanut butter on it. Oh, you should, sure. You should put it on a pizza or whatever. Yeah. And then I ate it several times. I'm like, it just tastes like a mushroom. Then I realized, <laughs> oh shit. A lot of people have never just had a we don't plain, like mushrooms. Yeah. plain dehydrated mushroom. Yeah, They're like, I, I haven't either. I think it tastes disgusting. Uh, <laughs> I'll have it as tea. I've had it as tea before, yeah. which is the least disgusting version. Well, even it. if you don't have shrooms, you just have a regular dehydrated mushroom. Right. It will taste like that. I won't be having that anyway. <laughs> I need it to get me high if I'm going to have a dehydrated mushroom. Yeah, yeah. Growing up Asian, you just have that. That's just food. 
but I've never had DMT. I, I understand that it's a, a very transformative experience or whatever. Uh, uh, I just, you know, it hasn't been around in my in my purview or whatever. I would do it. I don't, you know, you guys have some. <laughs> well, I think for uh, those of you who don't know, I think it's like the purified form of the psychedelic element of the ayahuasca. And then I've right. heard people talk about like how. Oh, you're not really doing it if you don't do the ayahuasca with the ceremony. Right, right, right. And people like to add a sort of like uh, religious, spiritual element to doing drugs. I mean, it's all fine. I think it's I think it's just doing drugs like doing drugs is a lot of fun. It's fun. Good times. This ayahuasca thing, if that's what makes it fun for you to do drugs, go ahead and do it. It's not really (laughs) my thing to, you know, add on sort of like Native American spiritualism to just, you know, white people doing drugs or whatever. Yeah. So you haven't tried DMT, but have you eaten elk meat before? for elk meat um it's a good question um so my mother's boyfriend is this guy who's like i think probably in the joe rogan averse like body hacking like a libertarian sort of medical guy um and so i don't know if i've tried elk meat i know he keeps around all sorts of fucked up weird meat because he's like a keto guy or whatever he's like a you know like a libertarian body hacker keto guy or whatever. Um, so I may have tried elk, uh, but I don't remember. Uh, but he has all that kinds of like bison and shit all around the house. Uh, and like, whatever, it's all good for him. He, he's, he stays very fit with it. But uh, I know that, um, you know, it's, it's like I've done it before. And it's like you have you can't have like a slice of bread or you gain like 60 pounds overnight. So I don't have the the personal you know, gumption for it or whatever. Isn't that interesting, though, that now like even diets are associated with certain like political views? I think I mean, look, I, I, I think that like I don't know. I Yeah, but I, I think that that's like a personality type. You okay. know what I mean? Like uh, I, when I say libertarian, I'm talking about this like type of person, this like Silicon Valley sort of like you know, like intellectual narcissist or something like that. And like these types that are like, you know, very against any type of conventional wisdom because like they can do this like, you know, hacking version of it or whatever. Like I I do think that like hardcore keto does strike me as like a kind of libertarian uh, uh, diet choice. It's kind of like, uh, oh, is that regular medicine? That's the medicine you use? Yeah. Surely there's better medicine for me because I have more money. But actually, like in my research, like this medicine is better. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like and, and even keto, by the way, I'll say is like just too expensive. Like this thing, this diet, you know, that they that everyone does it like this is the healthiest thing for you. I'm like, it's like wads of meat and cheese. It's like that's the most expensive shit. Like you can't just be eating nothing but meat and cheese. It's just too expensive. I think it really is. I think you can cheat with wine every once in a while. You can too. have wine and all this shit. It makes your piss <laughs> smell weird. And- so lots of uh, high great steak wine and cheese i mean it's like all good like i think if you stay on that like this you know the very fucking paleo version of it and you like never let anything else cross your lips like i've lost weight when i've done keto before but it's like a body hack thing like you're just like pissing out whatever like uh you like piss out way more fat, but it's like because your body's in some sort of stasis mode and it's burning fat as energy because you're like starving it of carbohydrates unnaturally Actually, uh, kind of segueing into <laughs> politics from diet, how did you become more politically engaged? Was it always or was it something that developed over time? Or I think that I was I definitely had like more sort of leftist views growing up, like and <clears throat> I guess, you know, just sort of. I hate this word, but like, you know, 
like with a contrarian streak or something like that. You know what I mean? Like you look at things and you're like, well, that doesn't like really make sense. You know what I mean? So I'd say like in college, like I protested with the Palestinian kids at like uh, some sort of event or something like that. But I wasn't like hardcore political, I guess I would say until like, like I was very upset about the Iraq war. I didn't like any of that, but I was one of these people that was kind of like quelled by the Obama election and, you know, was sort of in my like most careerist phase during those years and so felt okay to sort of check out um i was most politicized i'd say probably like a lot of people by like the 2016 election and you know what was the coverage surrounding it and the result of it and just sort of everyone i I think that that was an interesting election where it was like you know hillary was such a bad candidate so was trump and everyone was kind of like forced to reveal reveal their political compass because it like wasn't just enough to be like i'm just a democrat everyone sort of like held your feet to the fire and i think that's good i think we all kind of like came to a reckoning of like what our actual political beliefs are um and i did too um but yeah, I mean, I also think that, you know, I spent time during the during the Obama administration, you know, at Funny or Die and at Kimmel and everything. And I kind of did see a too cozy relationship between like the Obama White House and like entertainment figures and shit like that. Like I frankly, like I got to visit the White House while Obama was president and I like went and saw the Oval Office. And my feeling about that was like, I shouldn't be in here. Like this shouldn't <laughs> be part of the political strategy. There should not not be a political strategy that involves like me being in the White House right now just for having worked at Funny or Die. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, I, I, um, I don't know. I think that I like uh, just became sort of disenfranchised by how little was accomplished during the Obama years and then the like ugliness of the 2016 election and um, and also the sort of everyone revealing what their actual like political beliefs were um, and having to contend with that in myself. Yeah, I think it was a moment where a lot of people were reminded again, oh, there's like a left of liberal. Right. For a while, we just forgot maybe starting with the Bill Clinton era. Right. Like we thought liberal was the furthest end when it was actually a movement inward. Yeah, I, I also think that, you know, it, it's natural coming out of a Democrat presidency to like sort of reckon with like, well, what is the left? Like, what is liberalism or whatever? Like, are we coming off of what's a successful presidency? What does this mean for the future? Like, I mean, Hillary was running on like America is already great. And, you know, I just I don't know. I I did some traveling around the country during the election because I was at Kimmel. I went to like election states. I was sent to a Trump rally and stuff like that. And I I just in in my time, having spent time around the country, I just felt that saying America is already great was like simply not correct. (laughs) It's what I felt. So with your show Struggle Session, which you co-host, right, there's two of you guys. Mm -hmm. How do you guys walk that line where you guys get political a bit, but then you still kind of keep it that pop culture comedy thing because there's you know there's like a leftist socialist media podcasting network now which is cool that it exists and i'm glad and i want it to grow more and maybe we even have uh the mma corner of it you mean in like the you mean like not not necessarily like a formal network but there is just sort of like an informal like a a, an ecosystem a leftist ecosystem of podcasts but like easily you could just start going off and then it could turn into like a jacobin radio or michael brooks or something but you look to be honest with you like I, i think that there's other options for that you know what i mean i i ultimately think with struggle session that 
there's a lot of podcasts where you can like learn about smart things. First of all, to start with, like I'm not the smartest person on the planet. Like I'm I'm not I don't know that much. I like try to read a lot. I try to like know as much as I can, but I'm not going to like like say that I'm some political science major or like know the most on theory or anything like that. Like I believe in leftist politics. I think it's the most like coherent and correct of the political ideologies, but you know, there are other more qualified people to talk about like the ins and outs of it. Uh, uh, I know a lot about like movies and TV and comic books and video games and shit. And like, I do think that, you know, uh, uh, I ultimately think I'm like, so what is leftist pop culture commentary? I'm like, ultimately I think it it's just pop culture commentary by people who are leftists that exists outside of corporate monoculture. You know what I mean? I, I think that, you know, people want to read about pop culture or hear about pop culture and video games and stuff. But the other options for the most part are these like mega webs, these websites that are like parts of like larger, like corporate conglomerates. You know what I mean? That have advertisements all over them and shit. So when you ask, like, how do we hold it back from politics? Uh, um, I would first of all say that, you know, Leslie edits all the episodes and is kind of more the uh uh the behind the scenes thought leader guru of the project i don't mean hold it back from becoming it more like have it match your taste i think we just talk we just do the show you know what i mean like podcasts are kind of just like like leslie i will say is like you know more on top of like selecting what topics we do and he has a better perspective on like this won't be relevant in a couple weeks we try to stay away from we do them all we do them sometimes but we don't do a ton of just like regular sort of topical episodes because like and we don't actually do a lot of interview episodes we typically when we have people on to have we have them on to like talk about a subject rather than just a straight interview them um i'd say that a lot of that is leslie and a lot of that is just you know i think that Leslie said it early on. He's like, I think a lot of people will have like subscriptions to a ton of podcasts, right? And they're going to be flipping through and it's going to be like, you know, the problem with Syria, you know, uh, supply side economics, like all things that are like very important and like that people want to listen to. But when you're scrolling through all that and then one of the options is like Aquaman, a lot of people <laughs> are just going to select the Aquaman one because it's like the easiest listen for that moment. So I don't know. We're very happy to sort of uh, fill that space. And I, and I do think that, you know, Leslie especially, and I think hopefully myself as well, like we have interesting things to say about pop culture. No, I think you're right because uh, I'm subscribed to like, I don't know, hundreds of podcasts maybe. And most of them part of that leftist ecosphere that you were, that we're both talking about. Then there's like 10 new episodes about something that might really, I don't know, like make me, it'll raise some kind of feeling that right. might make it harder to sleep that night. So maybe <laughs> instead of listening to all 10, maybe I'll listen to one. And then I'm like, oh, maybe there's another podcast where it's almost like you want to break from it but you don't want them to get into talking about Aquaman, but get all problematic about it or talking well, about look, like, a and also by the way, so much of what exists out there in like pop culture coverage is just like hype and advertising kind of yeah. like so much of it is like tied together. And I spent a little time around that too. Like, and I saw like how Disney will like when you, I went to like a premiere for force awakens that was mostly for reviewers. And I'm like, Oh, they make the experience really special for the reviewers. And they make the reviewers like feel like they're part of something bigger or whatever and i don't know like i feel like so much out there about pop culture is just like celebratory or like how much we love it so much and you know i think that there is space even outside of leftism to like talk about pop culture in a way that's like not uh, as much for babies to be honest with you <laughs> less cheerleading of just pop culture yeah i in mean general. so much of this shit is just like we are so stoked for like the new avengers infinity war and i'm like well 
Like, uh, that's just weird. Like, that's an advertisement. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, I do see it in a lot of these like kind of nerd websites where it's like, before the movie even came out or anybody's seen it, they're already telling you why you should like it. Well, and there's a lot of a lot of that is also like self-enforcing. Like you get better like reaction. Like there's a lot of fans of things out there now. So like there are these, you know, hardcore fanboys of everything and fan groups of everything. So if you give something a negative review, if you're like the outlier giving something just a negative review, you're going to catch a ton of shit for that. There's also this like attitude, which, again, I think only benefits like corporate monoculture of like turn your brain off like just have fun with it like it's not for <laughs> you this kind of shit i'm like I, I don't understand like why we want to like like reject the idea of you know engaging with art at any kind of like real level you know i don't know about rotten tomatoes if maybe they're better at it but like imdb or some of these other sites yeah we'll have like positive reviews and like ratings before it, it's even come out or anybody's even seen yeah it. so that's like i think rotten tomatoes is stopping that but it's like hey god it's just a mess also by the way like movie reviewing even being just like tied down to this like percentage-based metacritic thing like it's just silly to begin with especially since now like rotten tomatoes like i think like has partnerships with all these companies it's just like it's like it's a mess. Like Rotten Tomatoes is like a a promotional arm of the movie studios, and it's like if they, you know, they kind of get to make calls on like whether or not a review is rotten or fresh or whatever. And I ultimately think I'm like that should be up to the reviewers, not like a boardroom of people at the Rotten Tomatoes office. When I say heat shock protein, what comes to mind? Heat shock protein. Shock. Heat shock protein. I don't know. What's a heat shock protein is like, uh, I don't know, like uh, spicy chicken wings. I would say that a very spicy chicken wing that surprised me. That's what I would say is a heat shock protein. That actually sounds more scientific <laughs> than what it really is. It's this idea like if you're in heat for a super long time, the proteins in your body get shocked and then they get all alpha. So is this saying like don't come basically? It's like to not like you're not supposed to jack off or whatever. Is that what it is? If you're in heat, like is that like how animal? Or if you're just in like hot air is what hot you're saying. Hot air. Gotcha. Okay, Actually, that's okay. never been clarified. That could have been the I other definition. Because I know that Joe Rogan is sort of in the sort of no fap sphere. I could uh I wouldn't be surprised if there was someone on the show who gave like a scientific explanation for no fap. Uh, yeah, yeah. That Joe Joe was just like that. Yeah, that sounds pretty good, man, or whatever. Yeah, Joe and Tim Ferriss. <laughs> Have you heard about the Lone Star Tick that makes you allergic to meat? The Lodestar Tick that the Lone Star the Lone Star like Texas. Tick. I haven't. That makes you allergic, makes me allergic to Joe Rogan? <laughs> I don't get it. No, it bites you and then you develop. I don't know if it's every time, but like it can make you very, very allergic to meat where I think. To meat. Like I think you said to me. No. Uh, I was like, I was like, just Joe. Okay. To meat. No, I haven't heard about that, but that's horrible. That sounds terrible. Actually, I would, uh, that would, that would, uh, that would impact all of my, what is it? Gazelle that I was asked about earlier. What was I supposed to have eaten? Elk, 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 elk. That would fuck up your whole elk game. My elk consumption. Yeah. Yeah. Get, yeah. Uh, take a severe hit if I got bitten by a Lone Star, uh, beetle. So you do the Jack AM every day, right? Uh, Monday, oh, no, through no, no, Friday. Monday through Friday. Yeah. And how long does it go? Two hours. When you're going live, right? Yeah. Does it just like make you exhausted after because you're just going live? Well, I do the morning show. I like doing it in the morning. I drink a lot of coffee. I wake up at 5 a.m. every day. To start. And what time is the show? Uh, 7 a.m. Okay. 
I don't do any prep before the show anymore. So I, uh, or I'm sorry, I don't do any prep that any, any, any of the day before the show. So when I wake up at five, five to seven is my only time prepping the show because I found early when I was first doing it, I was ending up like spending the whole day beforehand, like getting stuff ready for the show. And I was like, this is not sustainable to like make my entire life this thing. Uh, uh, so I now do, I wake up at five, I do two hours of prep and then I do the show from seven to nine. Um, and I don't know. I see. I co-host the show with my wife. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. Kate. uh, Um, and, uh, and so I think that like when I was first trying to do it and I was kind of trying to do it solo, I found it really exhausting. Um, whenever I've done game streams that have just been me solo, it like, I get so exhausted from it just from like being the only person on air. Um, so to answer your question, no, I don't get exhausted from it every day, but that's only because I have a co-host and my wife. Uh, and, you know, for the rest of the game streams, I now just try to get people over Discord and stuff like that. So I just uh, don't have to shoulder it myself. And is it kind of you guys pick a topic and just improvising or just kind of stream of consciousness talking about? So I so so the morning show is a lot more topical sort of by design than struggle session. And it lets me just talk about like what's going on in the news or like, you know, uh, uh, news of the day. But yeah, so I'll pull topics about like the presidential election or whatever is going on. Kate will pull her own topics and we just talk about them and show them to the, you know, the people in the chat. How do you react to apple cider vinegar? How do I react to it? Like if I saw it in someone's home, would I freak out or something? Uh, I don't know that I've done the drinking apple cider vinegar thing that I know everybody likes so much. Um, but I've had it around the house and uh, I think we've used it in cooking or something like that. And I don't know. I don't break out in hives or anything. So there are some people who will break out in hives. Oh, really? Not yeah. I. So it doesn't ruin your day if you have it. It doesn't no. ruin you for months. No, I can I can have an apple cider vinegar. I think. I mean, I don't know. Jordan Peterson almost died from apple cider ah, vinegar. Yes, I remember this. Yeah, Jordan Peterson had a very bad reaction to it. the Uber man. The Uber man, the strongest man we all know, father himself. Yeah, can't drink a a shot of apple cider vinegar. You know, he also is on that carnivore diet where he says, "I've never felt healthier. Right. This is great." It's cured me of AIDS or whatever other ailment he had. <laughs> isn't he like, isn't he also like even further than like, like he's only eating meat, right? Like yeah, he yes. doesn't eat like vegetables or anything. He's not keto. He's, he's got to have like, he's got to have like 40 pounds of shit in his colon. <laughs> like I swear to God, like he's just he's like super gout. Yeah, really? Really? How, yeah, how do you not? Maybe he's just in a really bad gout phase for the last couple of years. Uh, <laughs> but because he's on that carnivore diet. Sure. Can apple cider vinegar ruin you just a little bit? The I, tiniest see, that's the bit thing. of things. That's like that's actually what I found when I was on keto too. Is that like you do these kind of diets that are like body hacks or whatever. So when I did keto, and then I would have like a whiskey soda or something like that, I would be like blackout. Like you would just get so drunk so fast because it's like your metabolism is different. So I wouldn't be surprised. Do you think it's like a chemistry experiment in your stomach where you're like <laughs> <laughs> it's like a weird environment? I just and think then a new like, chemical gets in there. You're fucking up your whole like your messing up your whole uh uh i forget the word now i think i just said it but you're messing up your entire like body ecosystem or whatever of course like uh, i mean with keto especially you're like tricking your body into like burning fat as energy so it's just like i don't know what do you think about that with this rise of like not only diet optimization but it's like that's connected to like dot gurus online and youtube i think like it's like stupid bullshit. to be honest with you i think it's stupid bullshit and like a lot of it is based on like 
like libertarianism, like just where we are right now in society, like this idea that like cavemen would eat this way is like <laughs> not correct. Like cavemen wouldn't be eating any stuff that has like antibiotics in it and like all this kind of shit. Like it's just silly. And it's all based on this, you know, idea that we are living in a society where trucks have driven like meat to like a store that's right near you and stuff like that. It's just like, I ultimately think that like a lot of these sort of like body hacks and a lot of the sort of more like efficiency in people's lives and shit. I'm like, it's just, um, it's frankly unnecessary. Like enough work got done and people didn't like, people managed to stay fit like a hundred years ago, 200 years ago. And uh, I don't know, like applying this sort of like psychotic attention to detail that they require in corporate life. Like uh, I think it's just more like a type psychosis from people more than it is actually like useful or healthy. You don't think cavemen were investing in themselves? No, I don't think they cavemen, didn't use that kind of corporate language on themselves. No, I think cavemen uh, ate whatever the fuck they could eat, like whatever they saw and was edible so they wouldn't be starving to death. That's the other thing is they're like, you know, I eat like a caveman would. I'm like, I bet cavemen went like a week without eating sometimes. Like they weren't just eating like a package of like uh, almonds and like a nice cut of steak every night. They were like, like starving to death in caves like trying to survive you know what i mean and also like running for miles a day and shit like you know uh uh i it's you are like elon musk and the folks like them are not like cavemen in their you know self-driving cars and uh addiction to their smartphones and shit it is this weird thing right where it's like this weird combination of they want to be this ubermensch of like technology and intellect but yeah. then in this other way, they want to be like this grog, like caveman right. barbarian. Yeah, it is funny. It's like, you know, uh, uh, and also I do think it's this like statsification. Like, I do think that like a lot of A type people, a lot of like, you know, corporate managers, CEO types, uh, they like the the new sort of smartphoneification of health because it gives them a lot of stats to look at. <laughs> and like, I think that like keto and not eating meat and all that kind of stuff, it's just like for people that are like really stats addicted, like I had like exactly this number of carbs and stuff. Look, I'm not a healthy person, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, by any means, but I do think that probably there's a way to just like, like in keto, you're not supposed to like eat rice and shit. I'm like, I'm sorry. It's like, that's a silly diet. <laughs> any diet that's like, you should not eat any rice ever. I'm like, that seems fucking ridiculous to me. <laughs> like there's like a whole swath of the world that exists on like rice mostly. Like it's just ridiculous. This idea that like rice is the secret killer or something. It's only the secret killer in a world where we have like infinite access to meat and alcohol and cheese at any time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Since 2016 or even before, I think even outside of politics, there was like a online culture rising. Right. And I think in my opinion, my pet theory is there's a lot of overlap between the rising of the right, like younger culture and the left as far as just like pop culture, video games, comic books. And sometimes that kind of breeds. Well, I mean, we're just witnessing. I'm like, we're seeing what I frankly think that. You know, the Democrats, like our older Democrats, people that call themselves liberals, like maybe even like 
some of our parents and stuff like that. I would classify them as conservatives, to be honest with you. I think a lot of the sort of people that just want to go back to the way it was under like the Obama years or whatever. I'm sorry, but at that point, at this point, you are now pining for like a time that was 10 years ago. Like that's conservatism, like thinking that there was a time when America was perfect and we just need to go back to that. That is conservatism. Um, and so, you know, when you say there's an overlap, I don't think there's an overlap like ideologically. No, no, no. I think we're just seeing what happened. I think we're just seeing not even interest. It's just like I think we're just seeing what happens when like this generation of people becomes politicized. You know what I mean? Like uh, okay. we are a very online generation and uh, we are are now becoming in our adulthood we are now like you know in our i'm 33 you know what i mean and i grew up like never not having online you know uh, um so i just think you're witnessing what what happens when the most online generation gets politicized and then also i do think there are like a lot of like bad faith actors on the right and a lot of like real money behind you know uh uh, uh radicalizing young men in like a certain direction you know what i mean like i actually do think i'm like Steve Bannon and those guys like at Breitbart, Breitbart are, uh, are not the brightest people in the world, but they know how actual online marketing works. Like uh, Steve Bannon came out of the world of selling like World of Warcraft gold. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think that they come out of the sort of scummy side of Internet marketing that actually does work and get people to click on things. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I think that they did a pretty effective job and got in there like establishment figures uh, were getting in there and real big money were getting in there with young people in a way on the right that I think the left was just uh, uh, basically had abandoned. Do you think the left is starting to catch up, especially with like younger creators, people who are not of the boomer mindset? I, I think that there's like an ecosystem that we've been talking about that exists like in podcasting and everywhere. Like, I think you can even widen out that ecosystem if you're not going to make it just about the left to be like there is now a sort of web ecosystem of people that are not that interested in watching stuff that comes out of like the corporate homogenous like mainstream media and that's not just i don't i don't mean that just to talk about the cable channels and everything i'm also talking about like uh, cable news channels i mean i'm also just talking about like all of corporate culture like you know people talk about this being you know the golden age of tv but uh uh you know we ultimately have more networks than ever but we're making stuff for like four different companies and in the same you know sort of style and everything so you know i uh, yes, I do think that like the left is starting to like win back that ground. But I also think just in general, uh, um, there is a younger generation that is more distrustful of like corporate mainstream media and they're looking for things outside of that. And so, of course, you're going to end up finding stuff that has leftist politics in there. And the same way that you'll find stuff that has like, uh, you know, hardcore right politics in there. I think that you know, what we're seeing with people drop out of mainstream media is like a more a failing of how mainstream media is uh, uh, no longer interesting. Piggybacking off of what you're saying about young culture who grew up online and they're just being politicized. There's often people complaining about comedy, especially like Gen X uh -huh. boomer types who are like, oh, comedy is sucking now. And like yeah. people don't want to laugh or uh, right. whatever. They're complaining about the typical shit, PC or social justice or whatever. But my pet theory is 
maybe maybe there's some of that, but maybe it's really about the younger generation have a different taste in comedy right. now. So look, first of all, I'd say a couple of things about that. I'd say that first of all, the people that you hear making those complaints a lot of the time are people that have like been doing this for a very long time. I would make the argument that maybe we need a new crop of people and that like across the board and all of media, like we've seen the same faces nonstop for like 40 years and none of them can ever stop working. So, you know, when Jerry Seinfeld complains about that, I'm like, well, maybe it's time for Jerry Seinfeld to stop doing stand up. You know what I mean? Like maybe we need some new stand ups. Additionally, I would say with regard to the idea that we can joke about less than we could before, I think that there's been like a grand flattening out of conversation. And a big part of that is because of social media. Um, and so I don't think people are more offended by things today. I think we're aware of what more people are offended by. You know what I mean? Like saying uh, the R word or whatever, like 10 years ago, it was acceptable to say it on TV, but that's not because people weren't offended at that word. It's because we didn't listen to the people who were offended at that word. What's the R word? Retard. That's just one that I'll use like as a as an example. But like I, I feel like that word is one that I'm like, you know, people did used to use that yeah, more yeah. often. But I don't think that it's like people became more offended all of a sudden about that word. I think that just like social media and people feeling more open about like expressing the things that make them, you know, feel less like welcome and shit like that. Like I ultimately think that's positive. And and also that's like, you know what progress means you know what i mean like it was perfectly cool to be making like super fucking homophobic jokes like as recently as the 80s like just where the punchline was just to like be grossed out and that's not like even in conservative comedy that was like in you know hbo specials enjoyed by liberals uh uh i think that this you know i think a lot of the people that complain about that are showing their age um you know because Freedom of speech is not in danger in any way in this country. In fact, anybody, a lot of the people who complain about freedom of speech being in danger are making a whole lot of money off of uh, their freedom of speech. Second to that, how much do you think it is also outside of even all of that is just a changing of taste? Like the younger viewers like maybe have like, you know, the way I think of it, like let's say stand up, right? It's this observational like, right. oh, look at this shit. And then they complain about it. I feel like younger or even me, like. I've heard every kind of joke like that there is to hear. But then when I see something kind of more absurd or right. this kind of something I can't even put my finger on and makes me laugh, I'm like, that's the thing. I want more of that. That could be what it is, too. I also think that a lot of the people, you know, like we're saying, I think people need to leave, like leave entertainment and let new people come up. Like, I think a lot of that might just be coming from like, you know, God, like these people just feel so like safe and they're so like uh, complacent. Like when Jerry Seinfeld goes to a college campus and complains that no one's laughing at his jokes, perhaps he should consider that his jokes suck. You know what I mean? <laughs> like if I ever went and did a show and everyone like didn't laugh at me the whole time, I'd be like, well, I did a bad job. Like for all these people who are rich and have nothing but like yes men around them for like decades at this point, they're like, you know, it's the, the people who went to the show. It must be their fault or whatever. It's like that Simpsons meme, right? where uh what it's is the it? children who are wrong yeah the the principal was that character. just a meme or was that actually on the show it was actually on the show okay uh paul <laughs> let's not do any more joe rogan jokes because actually <laughs> now because i've never heard joe rogan jokes live or not jokes but questions but having it heard now in the room yeah i have my limit i thought it was a great <laughs> idea but you have a limit 
I myself cannot <laughs> handle anymore. Wow. I can't even the anymore. super fan like you. Even I, the super I can't fan. do it. I can't do it. So if you have regular questions or other questions, let's do that. So you don't have any more questions about cryotherapy or biohacking. Or well, that's alchemy. the other weird thing, right? It's like you want to be extremely hot with hot yoga right. and then you want to be extremely cold by freezing. It's almost your body. like doing things that are at the extremes, like kind of make your body feel weird. And you like mistake that as a spiritual thing when it's really just that like your brain is kind of saying like you're about to die. <laughs> like you know what i mean like yeah it's like fine like i ain't got no problem i have no problem with hot yoga and i'm sure it like feels pretty good I, you know even i'm sure that the cryo generation feel like cryo thing the cryo, probably like the generation of the cryo. cryo thing probably feels interesting what a nice thing for a rich guy to have and all that you know like uh, well that's the other thing is uh if you add all this shit up it's fucking like thousands and thousands so of dollars a month yeah, yeah it's so expensive <laughs> yeah like how are you gonna get elk meat are you going <laughs> to fucking get your bow and arrow and hunt it down in the woods? You know this thing like Mark Zuckerberg like for a while was like hunting and killing yeah, his own meat yeah. or whatever? So I read about that in like 2010 or something. He was like, my challenge for this year is I'm going to be like more aware of the meat I'm eating and I'm going to like kill all the meat I eat like by my own hand or whatever. So I read about it afterward. What that amounted to was that like people had to keep his home stocked with goats that he would then go out and like they would tase and then he would stab it to death after the like goat was like tased or whatever. Because obviously like you can't have the like head of Facebook insurance won't let him be like actually go hunting yeah, or whatever. Yeah. So really what it amounted to is like they had to keep his house stocked with like goats that he would sh like stun and kill. Then they would have to be trucked back over to a butcher where then they would get cut up at the butcher. It's like this is like so much worse in terms of like carbon in terms of like money like uh, it's just ridiculous this is how like zoos feed komodo dragons like right <laughs> but it's also like but they have to keep like it's like you so now instead of just having a truck like drive from like a like a you know factory farm to a butcher or whatever like now it's like this truck has to like keep we have to keep mark zuckerberg's house stocked at all times with these and whenever he kills one we have to send someone over to bring it back over here then bring it back to his house it's like rich people just have these ideas of what they think is ethical but it's like yes of course you can do that when you have a staff an infinite staff that just sounds like animal sacrifice with extra steps well he's a sick fuck he's like a sociopath <laughs> that's what that is yeah yeah uh, a lot of the new documentaries now kind of profiling like the fire festival shit yeah or uh the inventor with their nose they're kind of portraying it like oh these people are unique in their sociopathy and it's like no man they're all like that I, I really believe now that like corporate America is like all about just like their positivity cults. Like they're just a bunch of like Tony Robbins positivity cults where people like get pushed out for having negative ideas. And that philosophy works as well as like things keep going well as long as for the years where things are going well you can go up there and be like all right everybody like let's clap our hands like we're all in this together as soon as things start going bad like. It just doesn't make sense anymore. Like, so I actually don't believe that like our corporations are even run by people who are particularly like smart. I think we just like live in a world where there's like an infinite number of Tony Robbinses all across the country, like like doing con games on people to make them think that they're like smarter or more worth following than anybody else. Well, I think uh, self help that whole industry yeah. books everything is like a gateway into this kind of libertarianism that you were talking about. Interesting. Or right. maybe it was what you were saying earlier about personality types. Maybe certain personality types become 
attracted to that. Right. But then it does definitely reinforce. Yes. Yeah. I mean, look, I do think that it's like uh, uh, I, I just think I read this book Bright Sighted recently that I think was really good. Barbara Ehrenreich uh, wrote it. And so it kind of makes the argument that this this idea of American positivity, like, led us down some dark paths. Like, you know, maybe the uh, financial crisis wouldn't have happened in 09 if there had been people at these, like, big firms saying, like, maybe this isn't a good idea. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, you even hear this about Theranos. Like, in that big documentary about Theranos, there's the one guy who's like, I raised concerns about this. And they just said to me, maybe you're not a Silicon Valley guy or whatever. Like, I really think that, like, these companies are just like Ponzi schemes. Like, you look at Theranos or something. Thing. And that's just a Ponzi scheme where you're like trying to like shore up as much investment as you can and then like pass it off to the next guy and then have like your big payout or whatever. That's everything in America. That's ultimately like Firefest. I watched the documentary of Firefest and I was like, what is the fraud here? Because what he went to jail for was like defrauding um, investors. It actually wasn't like lying to the people who went to Firefest and everything like that. What what made Firefest illegal was that it didn't turn a profit. That's what it was. That's really what made it illegal. Well, in the eyes of capitalism, there is no such thing as fraud. Right. There is no fraud. Like that's a regulatory. Thing. What they did was correct. Like that's what Fire Festival did was they just couldn't like they didn't get it. They, they they didn't cross the finish line like when they were lying and went out there with like a bunch of models and shot a video and sold it on like that, you know, all these models would be there. That was not fraud. Like if they had gotten it together where there had just been tents up and when, you know, they had said they were going to be, you know, living in a lap of luxury, that would have not been fraud. That would have been OK. Their real problem was they should have like hired 100 more people to like set up all the, the tents and then everyone would have been upset about it, but they would not have committed fraud. And and it would have turned a profit and his investors would be happy and everything would be good. If you listen to both of them, the Firefest guy and Theranos, yeah, they parrot every fucking cliche from a self-help book like Tony Robbins. Yeah, it's this is what happens when you follow those books to a T, like literally. Yeah. You do everything. You fake it till you make that's it. That's everything. That's like, but that's Howard Schultz too. Like Howard <laughs> Schultz is one of these CEOs. Like all these CEOs believe that they actually are smart. Like, like Howard Schultz does believe that what he did was like unique and special, and that he's like some kind of exceptionally brilliant mind. When he's really just like a guy who had money and like bought into a company that was doing well and it continued to do well, like exceptionally well. Like what Howard Schultz was smart about was knowing that Americans like want coffee, I guess. Like truly what Schultz did was like, he made it acceptable for Americans to like drink milkshakes during the day. Like that's really <laughs> what it was. It's like he was like, now milkshakes are coffee and, you know, charge people like $5 for them or whatever. Like, you know, now this guy like believes he does believe that he could run this country better than anyone. And that's because like we have this like CEO worship in this country when really all it is is that he's like a like assembly leader, like, you know, uh, Tony Robbins positivity guy who like gets all the Starbucks people in one room. And he's like, come on, clap our hands, guys. Like, here's to another big year or whatever. Like, because we have this idea maybe from like Atlas Shrugged or something. But like, we think business people like that are like problem solvers. But even right. with Howard Schultz, I'd be even less charitable to say that he had a solution and he was looking for a problem. Like people were drinking coffee fine before he showed up. He's like, oh, 
let's create a problem and then I will I will create the solution. The thing that's funny about Schultz is it's even like it's even simpler than that. Like the company already existed. Like he's like Ray Kroc. Like he's just an investor guy who saw a company that was doing well and put more money into it so that it would like do well on a bigger scale. I don't know if that's brilliance or if that's just like having money at the right time. I would say similarly about Jeff Bezos. I'm like Jeff Bezos is not like a dumb man, but I think he just was like very very you know benefited a lot from being in the right time at the right place at the right time like he just is a guy who started a fucking website that you where you could buy stuff you know what i mean like and did a good job of expanding it but does that make him you know does is it does it make sense that this is the most powerful man on the planet you know let's say he is smarter right yeah but like let's say this whole system is meritocratic okay if you're twice as smart as average you can make an argument that you should get paid twice as much. Is he 10,000 million right. times smarter than average? Is that what he should be getting and paid? And so ultimately, it's not meritocratic. Yeah, exactly. And with Amazon, I would say he didn't solve anything. None of us had a problem before Amazon just going to Target and buying shit. That was not a big inconvenience. No, what, 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 what he solved for at Amazon was making it so that rich people can pay a poor person to go to Walmart for them. That's what it is. That's what Amazon sell is, is that instead of you having to go to Walmart and actually like come face to face with like the conditions that you're like enabling by like paying for this. And it's depressing to go in there because of how low the prices have to be. They now just keep a fleet of people who will walk around the empty warehouse for you, grab the object and then have it driven to your house. Like that's what Amazon sells is that rich people don't have to go to Walmart. One of our previous guests, Christian Fagan, mentioned that we have replaced the public intellectual with the businessman and the sure. CEO. Sure. And how when we want to talk about artificial intelligence, instead of having somebody with the background and the knowledge and the history behind it, we say, what does Elon Musk think about? No, that's this? absolutely true. I also think I think a number of things with that. Like, it is ridiculous that we even elevate these people. Like, Elon Musk is a guy who bought companies. Like, he did not build these companies. Like, he was like, he had the money to invest in PayPal. That investment did really well. And he bought companies that other people built. He doesn't know how to, like, make a car. Like, he attends meetings where other people build a car. So I think you're precisely right about that. That, like, elevating these people to a level of expertise, like, has done us all a great disservice. And I think that you can it's very simple to see why we've done that, which is that these people can all afford PR teams. They all they all are paying PR teams to go out there and tell all the publications that these people are brilliant geniuses who deserve everything that they have so that maybe we don't someday lop their heads off, allegedly. And the scary thing is, is like Amazon itself is scary. But it was an anomaly in the stock world where sure. it's like, oh, is this one company? Only this company can like hide their money and not turn a profit and right. still have this high evaluation. Everybody else at least has to try to pretend to have some kind of value. But look at Facebook. I mean, Facebook is like their Facebook is being hit with like nonstop controversy over the last like three years. They're on the cusp of being hit with a multi-trillion dollar, I believe, uh, uh, settlement, maybe billion, multi, multi-billion settlement, not trillion because they don't have trillions of dollars. They're, they're being hit with a multi-billion dollar settlement from the FCC. Their share prices are still like 50, 60% higher than they were in 2016. The stock market does not know how to value these companies. So that's my point is now a lot of these younger CEOs grew up idolizing 
Bezos. Actually, Zuckerberg said, right. I think that Bezos was his idol. So now they're they're all like Uber, Lyft. Right. They're all going to go IPO. They're all going to come out with these crazy evaluations when they don't do anything. And in fact, a lot of them just create debt and they're just going to create yeah. massive evaluations. And it's like, what is the system? What is capitalism? I mean, well, what the other issue is, is that like Facebook is a company and it's valued the way that it is because everybody uses it. Everybody uses it. Google is the same way. Like it's valued the way it is because everybody uses it. But there are things that you can't apply like the corporate growth like structure to. And there are uh, there are things that people need to use as a function of life um, and that maybe you can't make a profit out of. They're just so useful that everyone has to use it. Those things should be like public companies. They should be public companies. Here's something else I've been thinking about lately, too, is that, you know, a lot of the Silicon Valley companies that we that I think should probably be public companies and should just have public funding. They do have public funding already. It's just right now in the form of military contracts. So we already like we do so much public funding in this country, but we just require it to come in the form of like also knowing how to like identify people's faces from a drone. You know what I mean? Like we are giving so much money to Google. We are giving so much. We gave so much money to Theranos. Like we have big contracts with Facebook. We have contracts with all these places. We are giving public like taxpayer money to them. Even Elon Musk. And even Elon Musk. We're just doing it under the guise of this is military spending. So if we just cut out (laughs) that altogether, then all these Silicon Valley companies wouldn't be doing evil shit like facial recognition tracking. So so that they can kill drones and stuff like that. And we'd give public financing to these companies that are like a, necess- a necessity for modern life. They all identify as like the hero from Atlas Shrugged. And yeah. there's that other guy who took like government money for his business or whatever. They all take the government money. So they're all the bad guy from their own favorite book. Every single one of them, even like Peter Thiel, who is like probably the most consciously, you know, libertarian and conservative of all of them, even though they're all conservatives in their heart. And I think they're all I mean, I know they're all libertarian up there. But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the uh, I ultimately think that, you know, these companies like do not function without public funding. They We have shown that they're not functioning without public funding. It's just that they're only allowed to use that public funding for military contracts. So what do you see happening if you were to, not even like 20 years from now, but like, let's say the next five years politically in this, maybe not even this culture because it's so connected with what's happening in Europe because there does seem like an overarching global right-wing swing that didn't just start now. It's been going that way. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. We're about to have an election here. So that really is like going to be a lot's going to depend on what happens in that election here in America. Anybody you like? I like Bernie only really. I mean, I like Warren. I can like Warren's like acceptable to me as well. I, I just ideologically think she like differs from Bernie, but like if there are candidates that like I would be willing to vote for, like those are the two right now. But, you know, I think Bernie is like doing very well. He's raising a lot of money. He seems to have a lot of enthusiasm and, uh, like almost none of the other candidates are interesting at all. Um, where do I see the world going? I mean, like we're in like a massive rightward shift already. Like it's happening, you know. Uh, uh, where do I, I? I hope that we that we that we ch- switch things back and that you know our generation kind of like forces the issue because I swear to God we're all going to end up dying in the streets otherwise. Like I'm not joking about that. Like 
if we don't get Medicare for all, like we are going to be dying in the streets at the end of all of this. Like it, we are not going to be able to afford health care. Just yesterday, I had to switch over insurance to my wife's insurance. And it's like my medicine would be like $100 a month. Like I will like just like choke to death after a few months if we don't get insurance as old people or whatever or don't have health coverage as old people. Um uh, um, but where do I see things going? Like in my honest estimation, like because before 2016, because you spent so much time online, we were all thinking Hillary was going to win. And you were like saying, dude, Trump is going to win. Seeing, you saw that. So. So look, right now, I think that like Bernie could win, uh, uh, could win the primary, could win the actual election. Some of that might be wishful thinking. But I do see that like he's doing very well in the polls and raising a lot of money and everything like that. And I actually do think his message uh, will resonate with the people who voted for Trump. And also, he does a very good job of not just getting distracted by Trump bullshit. Like, I think the way to lose this election is to make it all about Trump in the same way that they did last time. But I'm not going to lie. Trump is the odds on favorite right now. Like he's in incumbent like his odds around this time last election were like plus 2500 like he is like he is the favorite right now you know uh, uh and so i don't know like where what's my honest estimation of where things are going like i think that like climate crisis is like becoming more and more real and what we're seeing and, and what we saw in puerto rico uh, uh is going to be if we continue like the path that we're on right now that that's going to be what it's going to be like when we have flooding in los angeles you know what i mean like the puerto rico thing like it was only it was easier for everyone to stomach because it's not like in the continental united states or whatever but the president going there and just like throwing paper towels or whatever that's like going to be the rule that's not going to be the exception you know what i mean like they have no plan for all the stuff that's coming up right now there's no plan there's no uh, uh and so where, where do i see things going is like if things don't change i see the wealthy moving into like walled compounds and like just sort of like receding from the rest of the world you even saw it earlier this year when there are all those fires uh, uh and the fires came to calabasas and all the rich people's houses were burning they had pi private firefighting forces come to come out to their houses so what we're already seeing here in california is that for us, the taxpayers, um, the people fighting the fires are prisoners like prison labor who are getting paid three dollars an hour to fight the fires. And for the rich, they can bring out their own exclusive firefighting forces that, you know, get the fires dealt with and everything like that. So I don't know. I, I think that we are at, you know, unless we can, like, turn the tide on, like, inequality and like, you know, we're we're at higher levels of inequality since like the Gilded Age or whatever, uh, uh, unless we can, like, switch that back. I really do see the wealthy, like, receding into like fiefdoms and the rest of us just like being out here, like fighting with each other for what's left and them all just like ignoring it more or less. Really? Medicare for all, though, does seem like something that's popular enough yeah. across the board. I mean, like there's going to be so much money fighting against it and already within the democrat party there's so many there's so many you know uh, uh health insurance company tied uh, politicians that are working against it and everything like that that's going to be a really really hard uh that's gonna be really hard to get through i do think though that your actual energy is there i think the people in this country want that i think that we i look if you look at what our uh, uh health insurance premiums are and then you add that on to our taxes we're like the most highly taxed people in the world world. You know what I mean? Like this, if you start viewing it as like, that's a required tax that you have to pay. And then this would get you that same thing at just like a 4% increase on your taxes. Like it's just is fucking no brainer. You know what I mean? And we do need these incremental tax rates. Like we do need to start taxing people that make over $10 million at like 
actually like 90%. I know that AOC, the number they keep raising is like 70. I think it like under under uh, uh, Richard Nixon, it was like 90%. Under LBJ, it was 90%. Like these are not new things. It's the world has changed in the last 60 years to be more amenable to millionaires and billionaires. Uh, and a lot of that has been through like lobbying by them and by deregulation. I, I think that, you know, we need to go pretty far here, but at the very least, we can just go back to where we were in the 60s. You know what I mean? In. And the thing about like something like a 90% tax rate. Incremental, incremental. And that's the thing. People think that means that you take 90% of all their no. money. They're still going to be fucking rich. It's like they're taxed at their first whatever at like 15%. They're going to be taxed at like 45%, something like 45 and below, below. They're saying that if you make, it's like if you make $10 million, like your tax rate stays the same for that first 10 million, then for all the money after 10 million, it's 70%. I'm like, I, I don't give a fuck about anybody making over $10 million. You know what I mean? Like you just don't need to make that much money. Like nobody needs to make it that much. So, and, and the argument against that, the argument that, you know, people would make is that it will like people lose their incentive to work and stuff like that. I just disagree. I just disagree. I think people will like still work really hard because they want like prestige. They want fame. They want like a life. Uh, I think that people will work plenty hard, uh, just like they did when we had tax rates at that level. Uh, and we still had a booming economy and plenty of millionaires still uh, fucking worked, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of numbers also get distorted because people don't like thinking hard and sure. people don't like adding and subtracting certain things. Sure. So I work in medical insurance mm -hmm. and i get confused a lot of times sure i said like what's your premium what's your deductible what plan do you have is it silver oh shit hmm yeah they're kind of fucking you with this <laughs> why'd you sign up for this and it's also not just the green new deal but sure. medicare for all but you're all we're already paying so much i know so it's insane. So when people say we can't afford that, it's like, how are we affording anything? The, 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 we are shifting the burden when they're like, how are we going to afford that? I'm like, by shifting the burden from me to you. You know what I mean? Like when millionaires are like, how can we afford that? I'm like, I cannot. That's why I need some of your millions. You know what I mean? Like uh, I can't afford it. There was a great clip I just watched today with Jamie Dimon. Uh, uh, it was the head of Chase. I think he was being uh, he was at, in front of Congress. I think it was Katie Hill that was um, trying to talk to him but she laid out you know what someone at a chase bank gets paid and laid out the like basic like you know just monthly costs like the lowest possible level costs uh and she was like that puts this person at like a minus 500 a month like deficit like when they're working full time at your chase bank or whatever and so they were like what would you advise this person to do like to to make ends meet and he's like uh, i'd have to think about that i would have to think about that that. Like when you actually do show even the people that are doing this, the numbers, they have to acknowledge we are squeezing people to the point that it's actually impossible to succeed in this country. And there's also a lot of fear mongering when you look at, I believe it was Jay Inslee who's running for president. Yeah. He has that. His platform is climate change. I'm the climate change guy. Yeah. And Meghan McCain tried to scare people and say, well, number one, climate change isn't big on my list. It's not even top 30. I was like, holy shit. What are the other 30 things on your list? I'm curious. Uh, and well, yeah. she also said, it's going to cost households 600000 each. I'm like, 
where the fuck did you get that number? Because you just threw out an absurd it claim. Maybe your household. Do you know what I mean? Like it could cost Megan McCain's household that much, but she's making over ten million a year. Then presumably, you know what I mean? Like when Megan McCain is like, it's not on my top thirty priorities. I'm like, because you're one of the people who can afford a private firefighting company. You know what I mean? Like you're going to be living in these walled compounds, the likes of which like the rest of us will not be allowed inside. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yes, like. The wealthy, like there was an article just this week in the New York Times, I think that was about like the Pinkertons are like gearing up again to like start doing work again. And that was like because the wealthy are going to need people protecting their like storehouses of water and shit like that. The conservative like capitalist response to global warming is this could be a big payday for everybody if we look at it the right way. So for those of you who don't know what who Pinkertons are, they were like this private mercenary police force that they used yeah. to use they're to still around, I guess. Yeah, to break up labor and to beat them up. How wonderful. And, so now they're going to be used to like uh, stop marauders from going into billionaires homes to drink their water. They'll be there with uh, sniper rifles to like uh, shoot people down when they try to climb the walls as we as we descend further and further into hell. Here's like where it all falls apart is like they always say with any good social programming, it's always like how do we pay for this as if it's a zero sum game? Like from here, we put it over here, then it takes away from this other area. But when they sell the idea of capitalism, it's like, oh, then we could all get rich. If we could all get rich, then it's no longer a zero sum game. It means that that everything grows together. So it's like, which is it? Is it a zero sum game or is it an open game where it's everybody bullshit. can? It's just bullshit. Like, That's what I'm this saying. This country was founded by aristocrats and it was founded on lies. It was like founded to make like the rest of us feel like we could advance to that point. But this country has just been like for aristocrats and rich families from its inception. And really, it's only the last 150 years that like has gotten us to the point where we're at now. Like America and England are the countries that were like, that like have excelled the most because of the industrial revolution. And we're really only like 200 years into that, a little less than 200 years into that. Uh, these things, you know, have, have a tendency to come to an end. You know what I mean? Like, and there's another aspect of this that gets a little too wonky for everybody to understand, but it is important, which is that outside of even taxes, right? The U S mint, the treasury, prints fucking money every day right and then they give the right to the federal reserve and not only the federal reserve the central banks and then regular banks the ability to issue their own money through fractional reserve banking right, right, right. so then you got all these companies that they're not even getting tax money they're just printing money out of thin air right. and then they can fucking use it and then they're like telling the rest of us how are you going to pay for something wait how come like you could just print money like during the bailouts just give sure. it to them sure print it and give it to them Yet we have to fight for scraps. I mean, that's the thing that it's like, you know, for these companies, they would go out of business if we didn't give them a bailout. For the rest of us, we'll just have to go into debt for our entire lives <laughs> and like be drowning forever. Uh, but that's not viewed as existential. Like it would yeah. be existential if, if uh, Goldman Sachs had to go out of business. But for like a mother to die of cancer, like preventable cancer, because like her like, you know, uh, employer didn't give her health coverage. That's just the cost of doing business or a everyday kind of a thing I've been hearing about a lot is like people who don't have the money so they're saving up their insulin to try to like space yeah. it out have you heard of this shit and then yeah, they yeah, die because yeah. they don't have enough so they're like oh maybe i'll take a less of a dose that's what america looks like at the end of at the end of capitalism i'm like we are at the point now where people are like dying of preventable diseases just because like the profit structure and the growth model you know demands that we charge more for these like proprietary technologies i'm gonna like i i will die of asthma if i can't afford my fucking inhaler but you know uh, um but yeah i mean like 
that's what it looks like. We also just recently had we have an epidemic going on right now, the opioid epidemic that kills more people every year than Vietnam did. And that was a like self-created epidemic by like one family and one company. And they're just trying to undergo bankruptcy right now because that's what we do here in America. Like in uh, in Mexico, El Chapo at least felt the need that he had to dig tunnels to like hide in America. They just try to file for bankruptcy. But there were business people creating a solution to a problem they were creating a solution People to a were problem pain. Like, through the capitalist <laughs> through like uh, through our form of capitalism they like paid experts to like uh, uh to bring to make pain one of the like symptoms that doctors had to treat and then you know worked with like expert doctors donated money to tufts medical school such that the uh, actual like medical textbooks got changed uh to uh, to uh insist that doctors uh, address pain they like created uh, a heroin epidemic here's the craziest thing they they used to claim that opioids uh, um, uh, would had a less than 1% addiction rate. And that was based on a study they did at an end of life cancer facility. So they <laughs> tested it on a bunch of people who then all died of cancer and then said it had a 1%, less than 1% uh, addiction rate. Like this is like a family who profited like wealthily off of getting everyone in the country addicted to heroin. Um, and they're still around. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so they had a solution and they had to create a problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, they also saw, you know, what they had was they're like, what we, this is the capitalist structure. It's like, we bought the rights to this drug. We were able to get this drug at a bargain, right? So now what do we do to drive additional sales of this drug? Because it's all just, you know, spreadsheets. It's all looking at spreadsheets and everything like that. So ultimately they're like, we spent this price to acquire it. And so how do we, it's like Star Wars, you know, like how do we get enough coming out from this that like will eclipse our purchase price and make a lot of profit off of it? Like, this is just them applying like traditional like business thought to pharmaceuticals, which is why traditional business thought doesn't work in the world of pharmaceuticals and uh, and and the medical industry. When they say that there needs to be like competition in medicine, I'm like, well, there isn't because everyone needs to get their fucking insulin. They don't get to choose to have insulin or not have insulin. They have to get it no matter what. That's not the fucking free market. That's not how it works. If there's competition in making a T-shirt, right, and then you don't get the right one or the, the right one doesn't win, you just have an ugly shirt, right? Whereas this, if this goes wrong, you fucking die. You don't want to do a system like that when it's life or death. Are you sure you actually need insulin? What if you're just able to overcome it just by believing in yourself? Positive thinking. You weren't positive enough. Yeah, that's true. If I didn't think positively, you know, and actually you're right about that because it's not even just thinking positively to get over your diabetes. It's that you didn't think positively enough to get a good enough job that would like get you the health coverage that you need. If only you had put the right energy out into the universe, then that job might have come through for you. But you didn't put that right energy out. So you work at Walmart. So you're going to die of preventable diabetes. Do you need an inhaler? Do you need a breathe? I don't I mean, I in, in you know, in if you're looking at this from the like purely uh, profit loss perspective, I don't need to breathe, you know, uh, uh, and in fact, it's probably, you know, better for everyone that I don't breathe. It would be easier <laughs> and cheaper for everybody if I just finally stop breathing. So I guess you I guess you're right. Like uh, the American system does make sense. We're weeding out we're weeding out the weak seed by uh, <laughs> refusing to give them health coverage. The people who need air, who needs them? Those that uh, that uh, who, you know, were born weak uh, can can pass on, except if you're rich, uh, then then, of course, you can be like the weakest and most inbred amongst everybody <laughs> and just run these companies.
But this world is fucked, so don't worry too much about it. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to get back to biohacking now. And just be like, hey, have you ever jerked off with Bengay? What does that feel like? I never done it. I never done it. But I'm sure it would, you know, get my toxins out or something. If Ayn Rand is correct, though, the solution to all of this is if we all pursued our own self-interest. Yeah. Then all these problems would be gone. It would be all solved. Right. It's it's really the problem is that the mom who can only get a job at Walmart, uh, who then can only afford food that gives her diabetes, then gets diabetes and doesn't have the health coverage at Walmart to get her, her insulin and dies so that like her kid has to go into foster care. That truly is because she was not looking out for her best self-interest in initially getting a job at Walmart in the first place. Namaste. <laughs> all right let's end it here so jack where can people find you uh well i do the morning show every day that's at twitch.tv slash jack am and you can check out the podcast struggle session at patreon.com slash struggle session and my twitter is uh, uh at jack allison lol that's with the j-a-c-k-a-l-l-i-s-o-n uh lol thanks for having me guys this is a lot of fun thank you jack thank you namaste namaste